Hello, this is AJ Roberts, 15-year British Forces veteran, entrepreneur, high-performance coach and loving father and husband. This podcast is for the motivated, for the inspired, for those looking to level up their lives through fitness, nutrition and their mindset. Welcome to The Best Version of You. Hello boys and girls and welcome back to another exciting episode of The Best Version of You. I'm your host, as always, Mr. AJ Roberts and today I'm delighted to introduce you to a southern western man from uh, the lovely country of England, southwestern Cornwall, Mr. Simon Cohen. How are you doing, Simon? I'm really well, thanks. How are you doing? Superb, mate. I'm really, uh, really glad to have you on the show. Now, guys, Simon is a public speaker, a facilitator, and he teaches social entrepreneurs all around the world in leadership. Um, we're going to go more into the, to the meat of what he's done uh, over the last uh, few years. Um, but first of all, uh, Simon, um, tell us a bit more about yourself, like, um, you know, where, where you grew up. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me on the, on the show, AJ. I'm from northwest London, um, from the, the suburbs, and grew up proper city boy. I went to school at the City of London, so just right on the, uh, uh, on, on the banks of the River Thames there. Loved it, never thought that I'd be living anywhere other than London because it was the centre of the universe as far as I was concerned. And uh, yeah, fast forward 20 years and I'm, I'm now, as you say, in the southwest on the, on the coast in, in Cornwall. But my, my background is in the, in the field of communications. I took a bit of a, a weird route there. I studied theology at university. Um, partly because I didn't know what it meant when I went to, to the career centre and I saw this word and I thought, oh, it's like religious studies. I love that at GCSE. And so I took that as a degree um, from a completely non-religious perspective, um, just fascinated by some of these big questions in life around meaning, around purpose. Um, but because I wasn't doing it to, to be a priest or a rabbi or anything like that, I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, and then slipped into the, the, the world of advertising, did that for a bit. And then when I was 24, I realized that I was earning fairly decent money, um, but I was really not happy at all. And I wasn't really behaving in a very cool way. Um, and so I quit my job and gave myself 30 days notice to sort something out. And that thing was ended up being a global communications agency to spread messages of hope and positivity. And was it in that period, in that 30-day period, that that's what you realised that you wanted to do, that that would make you like fulfilled and happier? I, I think it was a bit more basic than that. I, I realised, I've always thought of myself as a fairly decent person. I'd be the guy that my friends would come to for some kind of moral guidance. And yet, when I went to work, it was like I put on this professional mask and um, I would sell things to people that they didn't need. I was misappropriating my expense account. I was you know, drinking at lunchtime. And just because all of these things were you know, part of the culture and that was okay, wasn't it? Mm. And of course it wasn't. And I, I was just tearing myself in two. 
my perception of myself as this moral nice guy was departed from um, how I was behaving. And so in that 30 days, I just made that determination of whatever I'm doing next, I'm going to be me 24 hours a day, not just before 9am and after 5pm and try and create a culture, an environment where everyone else have permission to be themselves, what's and all. Okay, and um, like when you started that agency, what was that, what was that like in the early days? Uh, hard, yeah. Within about two or three months, I was staring at uh, the, uh, the papers to, to, to sign on um, because, you know, struggling to pay the rent. Um, and it, it was tough, but I started with what I knew, which was I knew I'd been working in the media for three years. I was interested in uh, religion. Oh, this was in, in the days and the months after 9-11, having studied theology, I was really um, perturbed by the way in which the media portrayed religion and spirituality post 9-11. Mm. And so I decided to focus on my interest, focus on my passion and focus on my knowledge and experience. So I just got a, a hundred journalists and a hundred uh, religious leaders all in a room uh, from the first national conference on religion and the media and got them to talk to each other. And then from there, once I created that platform and that, physical network and they just saw that I was really passionate about it and passion tends to incite enthusiasm and collaboration and just stuff kept on happening month after month when I didn't know how I was going to pay the rent mm. a little bit of business would would come in and that was just confirming that I was on a good path and um do you do you think that's quite uh, I think that's quite a good message really for like business owners out there who think they're staring down you know the barrel and things aren't really going well and a lot of businesses what is it 90 percent of business or something um sort of fold within the first two years is it i think it is something like that on average um yeah. do you think like the key message there would be to just you know stick to your guns just trust your gut and just keep going until you, you know there's literally nothing else you can do um, no, I wouldn't say that. I think that, that that path could potentially lead to burnout. And I, and I think that, um, I think that uh, it's really important to, um, to meditate on what does success mean to me? Because yeah. you can also be really successful in societal terms with a company that doesn't lead to your happiness and well-being. Yeah. Um, because you're working all hours, you're missing your kids' bath time, your, your, your other relationships are really stretched and strained. And are you being successful just because you've lasted your company beyond the two years and the 90% that fail? Mm. And so I think that the, the first point is to be really, you know, before we climb that corporate ladder, be really clear about the wall that it's leaning against and having that design in mind with what does success mean to me what is of most value to me and then design the company around serving that which is most successful and if it if it closes after a year or two that might be great news that might be absolutely fine all things come to an end yeah. it's not a question of of if it's a question of when so um i so for me the 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 common denominator in my journey was just kind of constantly checking in with myself of like is this cool? I made a big decision to leave the corporate life and go on it myself. 
am I honoring that decision or am I just getting busy again and tearing myself in two again? And so how am I really staying true to what is of most value to, to me and my loved ones? And that for me is the most important question rather than what was in the bank or what the business plan said. Yeah, 100%. I love it. And I totally concur with it. And um, I, I know a lot of people and having been there myself, like I, I was at the point of almost burnout when uh, I had a gym in Australia and I was so focused on getting people through the door, like whatever it took, because that's where the majority of the revenue was, is actually having physical members coming in. Um, and I'll be spending like any spare time I had, you know, it was leaflet dropping and everything. And like, so I could totally, totally agree with what you were saying there about like, the burnout situation. And like looking back on it, I wouldn't say I was totally happy. It was more a case of like trying to stay, stay afloat. Um, yeah, it's, it's bloody tough, isn't it? it yeah. it's, it's really difficult. And I think the one thing looking back on it, I, I know that you speak quite a lot about uh, mentors and mentorship and I think looking back, I, I think I took a lot of the responsibility for the, for the company on my own shoulders rather mm -hmm. than getting a community of mentors yeah. and fellow collaborators on that. And I think that that would have made that journey a lot easier had I, had I taken that mentorship uh, approach as well. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that in itself is like a lesson that you, you, you take now and take into everything you do in the future. And I was very similar. Um, at the time I had people in my ear, but weren't really saying the right things because I was in a bit of a predicament, see? And so the lessons I learned from that are like, have got me to doing what I'm doing now and how I'll go forward with that. So it's, it's not a waste of time. And it's not a bad thing necessarily. No, no, that, that, that's true. I mean, it's quite hard to differentiate between, you know, when people give, I'm always cautious of anyone giving advice really because so, so often it's projecting their own stuff. Yeah. Um, of, of who or how they'd like to be um, mm. rather than something that is genuinely useful or gen genuinely beneficial. Um, but for me, the mentors that I have in my life now are much more interested in finding the right questions rather than presuming the right answers. And so like to help, help me hone in on the, the questions that are most beneficial right now, rather than giving me advice or pointing me in a direction of where, uh, of where an answer is. And um, in, t in terms of the, the leadership style of stuff, um, when did you, did, was there a certain point when you realised, like, I've got, a, I've got a lot of leadership qualities here that I really want to cascade to people. Was there a particular point where you realised, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to be heavily involved in, like, leadership and, and teaching people how to be better leaders? Well, I was very fortunate in that through my company, I got to work with some incredible leaders um, from the Dalai Lama to Gandhi's grandson to Desmond Tutu to youth peace activists and environmentalists and so I, I, I was very fortunate I was able to observe lots of different types of leaders and see their own leadership qualities and then try and this was the beauty with having my own company is that I could see my company as a little lab to incubate some of these ideas and observations in other um, leaders and leadership styles to test them within my own company and within uh, the, cult the, the, the company culture. And I don't know if I'm actually a, a, a very good leader, to be honest. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's, it's really, 
I mean, I know it might sound, um, uh, I might be doing myself out of a job because I teach in leadership, you know, I teach open leadership, I teach principles um, of that. But what does it mean to be a good leader anyway? And, and for me, um, the, one of the core characteristics of a good leader is someone who is fully human. Yeah. And so again, rather than projecting perfection, uh, and we have a lot of that in our in our society, don't we? Yeah. Um, and rather than that, someone who's okay with not being okay. So yeah. I guess in that respect, I was a great leader because I was very alive to my own shortcomings and that. Um, I was not a very good manager either. Um, I, I guess I was a, a an inspirer uh, in in some respects, and, and still like to try to do that. But what I'm interested in uh, is trying to observe what are the what are the characteristics, the qualities of the leaders that I've worked with and observed and and see in society today, and see within myself and others as well, and then how to make that practical for someone else to take that home and do something with it. Yeah, and then like I think you're doing. Oh, sorry, you've done on many, many occasions. Uh, the, you know, the one thing that I stress so many times about to people is like surrounding yourself with that circle of influence of people who are, you know, far more uh, experienced and perhaps smarter, you know, leadership or whether it's management uh, yeah. and just constantly soaking in all that information all the time. Um, like, I, I wouldn't have done, like, I wouldn't have a podcast or I wouldn't be doing coaching or. Yeah. Um, making financial decisions and stuff like that. If I hadn't surrounded myself with like influential people that I can constantly learn from, you know, he, you're openly saying like, yeah, this dude's like a lot smarter than me. I want to know what he's doing. But you're also you're also making decisions and you're acting, and and that I think is fundamental to being a leader. It's like show and tell. Don't don't show. Don't don't tell. Show them. You know, yeah. like lead the way. And, and that, that's the thing for, for, for me, uh, is the, the gauntlet. It's all right thinking of yourself, Simon, as a nice person, but how are you going to demonstrate that? What actions, what choices are you going to make yeah. um, to reflect that? Um, Gandhi said that happiness is when what you think, what you say, and what you do are in harmony. And for, for me, in my previous professional life, I, you know, I had the thoughts and, and the, the gift of the gab. But my actions weren't, weren't in sync with that. And that was causing that conflict, that dissonance and that unhappiness. And so my leadership journey has been very, very much about holding myself to account and questioning on a daily basis of, well, okay, you're saying these things. What are you actually doing to reflect on them? What actions are you going to take to, um, to be an example, to be a role model in some way? And yeah. I can see that you, you've, you've done that in your life, AJ. It's great. Yeah, and you know, I continue to do so. It's, it's, the more people I can inspire through the podcast or content on LinkedIn or, or talking to you know, group, uh, groups of people, um, the better for me because there's, there's, everyone's got so much room for growth all the time. And I think, you know, as the society we live in today, there's less and less people... Um, Become, you know, going into these uh, sort of leadership and management roles because more and more people are, you know, have got a 
high rate of low self-esteem compared to the 90s and the 2000s because of things like social media and stuff like that and that constant comparison to others. Um, so that's been a big bugbear of mine is when you openly see people who just like think negatively about themselves all the time because they compare themselves to other people. And I think more people are out there that can really show people just what they are capable of if they be their authentic self. And that's something I was going to allude to what you were saying earlier is, um, you know, you attract people who are like you, don't you? And I find from a leadership point of view, if you're constantly your authentic self all the time and you're not trying to be anybody else, I find that attracts like a bigger audience and the people who want to learn. Yeah. And I, and I, uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think that you know, this idea of the best version of yourself, sometimes, sometimes that can mean letting in um, some of that vulnerability and that trauma. It doesn't mean being, you know, I've had a really, really tough year, to be honest. Like probably the, the most challenging year of my life. I've had pretty traumatic um, birth experience with our third daughter, lots of other stuff came up. Mm. And yeah, I'm still doing you know, big keynote talks and teaching in leadership and doing this other stuff out there. And, and for me, trying to be that best version of myself has been really trying to be honest as I am with you now about how tough it is. And my self-esteem has been knocked this, this year as well. But that's, that's okay. So I think that, that, that for me, bringing that, that shadow side that we all have to the forefront, as long as we can be in good relationship with that and um, not take other people down with us, mm. um, then that, that can also be the best version of yourself. And it doesn't mean necessarily resisting or putting negativity or dark thoughts or feelings to one side and just go, go, go. Um, because you know, my experience has been that when you suppress emotion, when you suppress some of the, the darker stuff, um, it goes somewhere and it will, it will manifest in a different form later on in life. Yeah, 100%, I totally agree. And um, well, going go winding back a little bit, yeah. um, through all the leadership and um, the emotions of business and that, you, got a business up to what, a million pounds worth of, of value and yeah. um, gave it away. Yeah. Um, just, just talk us through and for, you know, for the benefit of the guys at home, um, talk us through like that process. I mean, obviously you started a business from scratch, got it to a certain point and then it actually physically gave it away, which is pretty much unheard of. Yeah, well, I mean, I was really fortunate in that I, one of the, the campaigns that uh, worked on was for the first UN International Day of Happiness. And so I was working quite a lot in the whole science of happiness and well-being. And one of the, the, thing, one of the, the research studies was looking at the relationship between how much money you earn and your levels of happiness and well-being. And there are regional variations, but strictly speaking, there's a direct relationship between earnings and levels of happiness up to £30,000 a year. The more you earn, the the happier you'll be, up to about thirty grand. And then after that, it begins to plateau. Um, And so you can be the happiest person in the world on £30,000 a year. Again, if you're in London, it might be a a little bit more than that. Um, And 
and I was also working with with people who had um, just gone through unimaginable trauma and loss and heartache. And I've lost dear people. I lost my best mate um, uh, in our twenties as well. And so these questions of what is of most value to me, these questions of these experiences of, of seeing that my basic human needs are met and everything else beyond that is a want, it's a desire. Um, it just made me realize I didn't need anything else. My basic human needs were met. I could pay the rent with my wife. Uh, we were about to have a baby. Um, I didn't need anything else. And so I realized that when my wife became pregnant, that um, I wanted to be a stay-at-home dad. And that's where I wanted to, to put my time, energy and attention. And that, therefore I, I couldn't run an international communications agency. And therefore I needed to, to leave. So how are you gonna leave the company? And again, that question of, there's no point speaking about happiness and well-being and what's of most value unless you're going to act upon it. And so what was I going to do at that point? Just sell it off and put a million quid in the bank and run off to the, to the Seychelles or something? No, absolutely not. Um, and so I also didn't really think that I own the company. I've, I've got different views around ownership. I don't think that you've got a couple of kids, haven't you? Yeah. Do we own our kids? No. No, and we might, we might have legal stewardship of them and responsibility mm. of them. And sometimes we call our companies or podcasts, you know, our babies. Yeah, you know, that's our babies. But um, so we might own the shares for them or have certain rights. But I ran a company called Global Tolerance. So I didn't, who am I to own that? So the whole concept was a bit ridiculous to me. And so I decided to, to give away the company or rather to pass it on to, um, to others and did that through a, a big global competition. Yeah, you, um, we were talking previously for, uh, off camera and that um, about the global competition because um, the, you know, the guys and girls at home must have been like, what, just gave it away or a game of cards or something like that. It was actually quite a rigid format, wasn't it? You went through it and rightly so. Yeah, so it was a, it was a, at the moment, if you really love the company that you work for or, the, or that you've set up and you want to leave it, there's really limited um, opportunities and choices. You can do a merger or acquisition, you can sell it, but three out of four of those fail. Yeah. Um, and, or you can fold the company, which I didn't want to do. And so they're really limited. So I wanted to design a new exit strategy called an open leadership exercise or Olay for short. And, um, and it, yeah, it was quite comprehensive. It was a five stage process, which everything from an online application form, a tweet around leadership, a, a Skype interview, a three year business plan, and then a, a four day interview on a ship in London. And we had hundreds of people from I think 30 countries apply. Um, from 16-year-old twins in Australia to the head of gunnery uh, for a national army. Uh, I won't tell you which army. Um, and it, was, it, it just inspired so many people to believe that they could run and own their own agency, their own company. Wow. And that actual, you know, looking back at it, because the, 
the romantic notion that I had that I would give away this company and all would be good didn't come to fruition. But looking back at it, the actual process, the choice to actually give away the company, I know for a fact that between 10 and 20 of the people that applied have gone on to set up their own companies, awesome. having been inspired by that application and that opportunity. And that for me is the, is the real gold dust. Yeah, that's, that, that's amazing. It's, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's uh, just having a go at that opportunity in the first place or that potential opportunity, putting yourself in that driving seat to try and get to number one to be able to get the company. But being in that process, I guess, and falling short, just, just spur them on, obviously, and giving them that drive to, to go on to do, to do better things and that, those aspirations. And that's what sometimes people just need that, don't they? But it all starts with that first step of making the initial application in the first place. Yeah, that's it. And it was deliberately open to, to all. Yeah. Um, so any individual, any organisation, they, they could just um, get involved. And so we had some incredible uh applications and uh, this, this sorry go on i should say this head of gunnery um so the one of the questions on the application form was what does global tolerance mean to you no no it was uh if you're a symbol what would you be and why and this this head of gunnery said i would be a lotus flower hovering between the spiritual and material realms and i was like wow you're the head of gunnery but bless you thank you um did he, so, not yeah. say, did he not say, uh, you best let me win, otherwise I'll pinpoint where you live and drop a shell? No, I, didn't, I did not leave uh, <laughs> my, my home address uh, <laughs> on that particular application. Yeah, yeah you you have a, next time you see a drone flying over your house and that. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Duck for cover. Um, so with, with the speaking side of life, yeah. um, what actually led you getting to me? Was it a specific opportunity or was it, did you openly put yourself forward to speaking engagements to get yourself up there in front of people talking about um, leadership management, all that kind of stuff. Was there, a, was there a particular niche that you were trying to concentrate on when you talk with your speaking? It, it kind of evolved. I think for when I, when I was running the company, I was doing a lot of media training, like training people how to engage with the media. Um, so there's lots of coaching and training. And because my company was not a traditional communications agency, only works with people uh, committed to positive social change, had a few invitations for me you know, to, to be interviewed by the media, one or two speaking platforms. And then I thought, oh, there could be something in this. And um, I guess, I, I guess in terms of the, the niche that I see it, it's around optimism. I've always been an optimistic guy and I, in a in a a uh, in the world in which we're living at the moment there's always going to be a space and an opportunity for an optimistic message because it's so out of kilter with what's going going on in the world um and i think it was just a question of of confidence like what you're saying about self-esteem believing that i had a story and a message that was of value and that could be of benefit to, to people listening. It. And um, I think also giving away a million pound company helped because it was, it was covered a lot in the media. And so that generated quite a lot of interest and there's quite a few invitations as well. Um, it, so 
in terms of your talks, I mean, like you've talked in front of some of the most amazing people um, in the most amazing venues and places like, like the United Nations and in front of all like in world leaders and stuff like that. Like, what, what's that? What's that like for you when when you're delivering your content to to people in those type of, type of scenarios? Is it any different to as if you were doing it to like a, say a personal development event, for example, in Cornwall where you live? No, I think the toughest one I did was just in, in Mexico um, at the Worldwide Meeting on Human Values. 4,000 uh, people, um, all kinds of weird and wonderful people there. But it was the hardest one because my family were there. <laughs> um, so my wife, Kate, and, and three girls were, were there. But I, that was just because I, it was quite a personal um, uh talk about how to say goodbye and honoring our transitions um, uh, in everyday life um, about loss about love about leadership and I just really cared about the subject and seeing seeing them sitting proudly at the, at the front you know just was was quite ch challenging just to kind of keep it together but no I, I, I fundamentally believe in that every single one of us is equal and I've never felt inferior or superior to, to anyone. So I've never had thought twice about picking up the phone to, to anyone or never thought, oh, I'm not worthy to be speaking on this stage. I fundamentally believe that we're all like precious, inimitable pieces in the mosaic of life. Wow. And so, and so with, with that attitude, Yes, I get nervous, but I I'm not nervous because it's being televised or because there's so-called important people in there. I'm nervous because I care about the message that I'm about to convey and I want to do a good job. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. And for me, my, my wife says to me, do I ever get like, nervous being in front of groups and stuff like that? Because if, um, you know, the Michael McIntyre show when like someone gets... St uh, yeah. stage now and they end up like in the in the crowd and they then go on to sing like my wife's just like that happened to me she'd just leg it like she wouldn't, she wouldn't sing she wouldn't do nothing she, she didn't care if it ruined the program um, <laughs> so she often says like oh do you ever get nervous in front of talking in front of like in front of big groups and or in front of dignitaries or you know all that kind of stuff and I always think back to when I was uh, a younger soldier and one of my um, sergeants said never ever get phased by anybody, not even your biggest sporting hero, because at the end of the day, you sit on the same toilet as they do. Mm. And it's just the way he said it, like yeah. instantly, you just put that image in your head of like, yeah, my, you know, the queen, she sits on the same toilet, well, probably not the same toilet, but. Um, <laughs> she sits on a golden one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, um, they're still very much humans, just like everybody else. They just had, they've just been yeah. brought up in different environments and experienced different things. Um, so I don't get personally get phased by anything. And I always say to me, my, my biggest um, icons for me are friends of mine who have lost limbs in Afghanistan and stuff yeah. like that, have gone on to do amazing things that like represent the country and yeah. you know, overcome all that adversity. For me, they're, they're like my heroes. Yeah, and, and, and I don't know about you, but whenever I've held anyone on a pedestal, um, they've come crashing down when I've actually um, either met with them or worked with them and had some kind of idealised notion of them. And then just realised, well, actually, yeah, you're, you're a normal human being, like, like you said. Um, 
and and yeah a lot of those 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 heroes are much closer to home my wife i mean i i have been witness to three childbirths and and for me the courage and strength and passion and determination and resilience of not just my wife but all women through childbirth is just beyond anything that i will ever achieve in my life mm. um no, that's a role model for me. That's someone who, who, who's on a, on a pedestal for me. And I think that sometimes we'll look at world leaders or we'll read about people in the news and we'll just think, oh, they're amazing, or celebrities, and think, oh, wouldn't it be incredible? But more often than not, we'll meet them and say, yeah, they're really, really cool. But as my mum's always said to me, no one knows what goes on behind closed doors. Right. Uh, and we've all got that, that shadow side. We've all got stuff going on. We've all got that com complexity and some... Some hide it better than others. Yeah, and it is literally like don't judge a book by its cover, isn't it? Like what might look all nice and pretty on the outside isn't always pretty on the inside, and you know that goes into the same conversation with the whole, you know all these social media posts that you see from uh, influencers um, that post the best three hours of their life, but not all the rest of the horrible stuff. Yeah. Um, but obviously, that, that's a that's a completely different conversation, but. Um, Talking of uh, heroes and that, obviously there's a lot of Star Wars fans out there. Um, let's let's talk about your uh, your in-house campaign to uh, yeah. generate con uh, constructive debate on tolerance to do with um, Jediism. Let's call it. Yeah, that well, well as you, um, well, I'm sure the the force is very strong with you, AJ, and you'll remember um, back in the day where the uh, in the census for the first time people were asked what their religion was and some students in their inimitable wisdom thought just as a as a joke maybe let's put Jedi Knights on the census and if we get 10,000 signatures then uh, the UK government will have to recognize it as an official religion and um, do you know how many uh, said that they were Jedi Knights? Uh, just in UK? Yeah, just in the UK. Oh, well, seven million, wasn't it? Was it seven million? Well, the, the target, the target was ten thousand, and they got three hundred ninety thousand. So that, that made it the fourth largest religion in the UK. Um, <laughs> and as you can imagine, the, the the UK government were a little bit embarrassed by this, and and changed it on the census to code eight nine six and swept it under the carpet, hoping no one would ever talk about it again. Um, so at Global Tolerance, we we saw this as a little bit of an opportunity. And we wanted to change the debate around tolerance rather than it being seen as something of just putting up with people um, as something that was about respecting uh, difference, respecting diversity. And so we got two Jedi Knights, Yan-Yan and Umada, who met at Jedi Junior Camp in Andromeda to march on the United Nations in London on the 16th of November, which was the International Day of Tolerance with a letter requesting that the UN change the day to the Interstellar Day of Tolerance to reflect the religious beliefs of their brothers and sisters in Britain and across the galaxy. Um, and they were accompanied by their seven foot five Wookiee friend Chewbacca, who wouldn't want to miss such an occasion. And uh, within a few hours, Kofi Annan's official spokesman at the UN press briefing was asked to recognize Jedi as an official religion. And it, it just went completely 
uh, well, I say spiral rather than viral because there's nothing really attractive about a virus, but it went, it went off, like it reached 700 million people. Um, there was even a, uh, an interview on uh, national TV um, in, in the UK with Chewbacca with the Jedi Knights interpreting his grunts. So he was like, <laughs> and Yan Yan would say, and that's why the international day of tolerance must change to interstellar to reflect the religious beliefs. It's great. You can Google it. There's a, a great uh, interview with Yan Yan and Imada with Eamon Holmes and Sky News. And it, it was brilliant because it kind of, it, it, it hovered between, is this real? Is this just a joke? What's going on? But because we had 390,000 people self-identify as, uh, as Jedi Knights, um, we, it was just great as a communications campaign. That's amazing, right? And uh, in terms of budget, it was ridiculously low that you had, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was, it was really done for very little. We, we spent, I think, something like 150 quid in total. But Sky News loved the story so much because it was all over every national newspaper in the UK that they paid us to go in uh, twice. So in the end, um, they paid us to keep on going back and have, have the interviews. In the end, it cost us 70 quid. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty to good. Reach, to reach 700 million people. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've never been able to, to hit that ratio since, but uh, it was a good one. I'm surprised Facebook hasn't snapped you up to try to get you to um, well, teach them how to get more out of Facebook ads, reaching that many people for 70 quid. Yeah, well, well, it's funny you say that, though. I mean, I do a little bit of Facebook advertising as well, and I think that the, the principles of that campaign can be taken. It's very much about thinking what is already in the public domain, what's the conversations that are happening at the moment. And so rather than having to create a new product or a new service or a new idea how can i piggyback on what people are already talking about and reappropriate it for my own purposes and so i've done that a lot um, and so like with any sort of campaign in, in marketing or advertising really having a, an answer to that not just that why should people respond but that why now that yeah. immediate, a sense of immediacy and so that story was about the U un international day of tolerance only happened in one day and so there's so much buzz or a buzz around those those two or three particular days before and preceding it as well. Man, that's, that's, that's unreal. And I hope, uh, well, I'm sure there'll be plenty of listeners out there that will take some uh, some little nuggets away from there and uh, may hopefully apply it to something that they've had stored away in the uh, the old head safe for a little while. Because um, at the end of the day, it all starts. With, it all, every every story starts with a thought, doesn't it? It, it does, and, and uh, you know, another characteristic of that is, is a little bit of humour as well. Mm. Again, in the, in, the, in, the, in, in the world that we're currently living in, there's space for optimism and a giggle and a sense of humour and not taking ourselves too seriously. Yeah. Um, and I think that campaigns and ideas that can be a bit self-deprecating or silly, um, I think the, the reason why that works and the reason why um, so many campaigns that I've been involved with worked so well is that there's a, a, a seeming juxtaposition between the the seriousness of interstellar tolerance and UN and religious beliefs and a seven foot five Wookiee 
And so if you can get that contrast between, um, like if you want to, if you want to, if 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 you want to if you're doing your podcast on how to be your your best self, you know, and if you're filming if you're filming or recording that outside the least likely place where people are looking for their best self, it's that juxtaposition that makes it much more interesting and engaging for for audiences. So it's just yeah. something to play around with. Yeah, hundred percent. I love it. Um, so, what would you say? Um, from a business point of view or uh, from where from where you are now what do you say has been your like biggest external challenge for me external challenges are indistinguishable from internal challenges yeah because um for 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 some people you can have the same external phenomenon and it's a huge challenge for others. It's water for ducks back. What's mm. the difference? Mm. And it, and it's where you are internally. And so for me, um, there have been, you know, what I realized when indeed in the company is that when I felt a little bit of chaos and internal confusion, that there tends to be chaos and confusion in my external work in the company, in networks of relationships, in financial terms as well. When I was feeling aligned, uh, invested in my own inner journey, tuned into my body, to my emotions, to my physical sensations, but mindfulness and all of that, then things that would have been external challenges um, were, were actual opportunities to actually dive deeper mm. into what's of, what's of most value. So, so there have been external challenges of, you know, being without money and not being able to pay, pay the bills. And that is, you know, money is a, can be a real stress, uh, particularly when you've got an internal voice saying, well, you've given away a million pound company. Nice one, mate. You could have invested it. Was, you know, the inner critic yeah. that, that, that pops up from time to time. Um, but the the external challenges are nothing in comparison to the to that inner critic and and that mental health and that side of things in my experience um and i i always like to for me i always like to think of um ex, uh, experiences as opportunities to learn like from every single experience um whether it's good bad I always think there's uh, there's always different ways to look at every experience. Yeah, and I, I mean, look, I I can't begin to understand what it must have been like for you and you know many of the guests that you've had as soldiers, be, be, being in the military and being exposed to some of the things that that you have. But just in my own uh, little bubble, my own life, when I have I have felt most broken that's when I felt most human and, and therefore alive with opportunity. And there's this lovely quote with uh, Rumi uh, who said that the wound is where the light enters you. Okay. And, and I, I do, as, as, you know, that can be quite cliche and it can sound um, uh, cheesy, but for me, it's absolutely alive with truth. If we're able to sit with our pain, if you know, when, uh, this year, as I said, it's been a pretty tough year. And 
yet it's been probably my biggest year of growth. I feel like I've really, I've just turned 40 this year. I feel like I'm stepping into eldership in some way. I'm, I'm, I'm stepping into another zone and really being okay with that rather than trying to resist it or project the happy-go-lucky youthful Simon that, that I would have done a couple of years ago. And so I, I completely agree with you that yeah, within every crisis, it's why the Chinese word for crisis is also the same word for opportunity. You know, that they are one in the same thing. Yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree. Um, so for you going forward, what's, uh, what's the plans for 2020? Have you got anything big coming up? Yeah. Um, uh, I've been invited to take part in a, um, in a new global festival, which is going to take place in New, Ze- New Zealand, which was a response to um, the Christchurch attacks earlier this year. Okay. Um, and that's not all confirmed, but that's a, a prospect. That's quite exciting. Um, and I really want to invest in the, this uh, inner journey a little bit more. Um, I'm really, I see that what, what's been happening politically in this country and globally in terms of climate change, I feel like the gauntlet is down for me and the rest of us to think of our internal, our personal agency and responsibility yeah. to model success and be the best versions of ourselves. And I can only really do that if I'm investing in my inner journey. That's been my, my experience. That means meditating more. It means having, you know, not messing about in the shallows with, with people that I don't really care about. Yeah. It means having conversations that matter about the things that matter most. Mm. Um, and so having meaningful conversations and, and planning on setting up a, a, a men's circle in the new year, I want to get into a bit more of the, the brotherhood, that, the fraternity that I know is so um, uh, pervasive within the, the military. And I really want to invite that into, into my life as well. And I think that just by investing in that inner journey, rather than having any big expectations about outcomes, those good outcomes are inevitable. No, and I, as a result. Yeah, I, I totally know what you mean, especially about the brotherhood side of life. It's something that I'm very much going to be spending a lot of time on uh, the new year myself. Um, we're looking at... Um, organizing this very big event here in the south of England where we want to concentrate uh, not just only on like overall health but very much on mental health and mindset because um, like I talk with a lot of my sort of online clients and that is the, the mindsets you know the, is the foundations to everything that we we do and try and achieve um, so whether that may be like lose weight or increase you know a, a run time or be able to lift more, whatever, or, you know, or even progress further in your career. Um, it, it all relies heavily on that sort of foundation of like that, the strength of that mindset or, or lack of. Um, and especially people that are very dominant in the, in the male gender, um, as you'll agree, is this whole not saying anything, keeping things bottled up. And um, sadly, the rates of suicides we've had, especially among serving soldiers and veterans and that and um it's it, it was my best mate killing themselves just over two years ago that you know kind of spurred this off 
a little bit. I always knew it was a bit of an issue, but it's just been a huge spike since then. Um, and I've spent a lot of time over the last few months, like uh, networking and uh, meeting and speaking to so many people that have overcome PTSD. I've had some amazing guys on the podcast that have you know, been in horrific situations and have overcome PTSD or still have slight elements of it, but they know how to control it. And getting that message across is really important to the people that uh, are really struggling and are very close-minded and just like a, a closed book. And we want to try and get as many people like that out of their shell as possible in that same environment where everyone's in the same boat, pretty much. Yeah, and, and not having to do all of this yourself. And I'm really sorry for your, your loss, AJ. Um, but um, this, 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 sense, this struggle, that this internal war that is going on in so many people's minds right now is not one that has to be fought alone and it's that sort of message and camaraderie that is so important um because i mean the levels of mental health um um anxiety and depression are are huge and and the journey of leadership as well if you're running your own company as well as an entrepreneur that can be a very solitary journey as well and I feel very very strongly that I mean I'm very fortunate to live in a very close-knit community and it's the first time that I've lived in a community before but being willing and able to being held rather than constantly feeling that I need to hold others mm. has been a huge life lesson and a leadership lesson as well for me I totally see where you're coming from. Um, I've said this a lot recently to my wife. Um, throughout my whole life, I've, I've been the eldest of four boys. I've always, uh, always captain of a sports team, of football teams especially. Uh, I've always been a, a leader, a mentor figure in, in the military and always been the go-to person to sort, sort, sort stuff out uh, and get stuff done. But very rarely does someone ever say, like, are you all right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, who, who holds the holders? Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it, that's uh, something I've been talking a lot about with my wife recently. And um, I guess we all need somebody to talk to from time to time. You know, it's all very well um, preaching, you know, all this stuff about mental health and try, how to try and come on, you know, get in there, talk to people. Um, we've, but we've got to we've got to do it ourselves, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, got to got to model it. And and that's the thing. It's like I I I went out for um, uh, for drinks last night and. And and got chatting to a complete stranger, and he asked me how I was. Mm. And I'm not about to mess about. I'm not going to do the British. Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Uh, <laughs> you know, I wasn't feeling fine. Okay. Yeah. So he asked me how I was, and I wasn't about to mess about. And said, um, "Yeah, this is what's been going on for me, and these are the ideas that I'm really interested in right now. And how about you? And and." before we know it, he was sharing some of the stuff that he'd been going through and some of the ideas that he had. And this is just down the local with someone that I'd never met before. Mm. And I think that, we're, like you said, if we can model that in our own lives and our own conversations, refuse to mess about in the shallows. I can't remember who it was, but there's this lovely quote of, um, uh, great minds discuss ideas, average minds discuss events, small minds discuss people. Yeah, and and I I really am conscious of that. It's like if I can in my conversations 
commit to talking about ideas and not talking about people or events or stuff that, that's going on, then it, it, it changes things and it gives other people permission to talk about the stuff that they're going on. And it might just be that you've chosen someone who's going through a hell of a lot, didn't think that anyone else out there was thinking like that, and it gives them permission to, to share that with someone. It can, it can ultimately save a life. Yeah, no, I'm sorry, I totally agree. I really do. And I think uh, a lot of the main problems and why people keep so, so boxed in is because our society nowadays is like 100 miles an hour. And if I was using the analogy of like, if you stand, like I was in Waterloo train station yesterday, for example, stand there and watch everyone rushing past you, everyone's got like 20, 30 things in their mind at once. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking about what's up with somebody else or even really care. They just like, they got to do this, they got to do that, they got to do all these little things. Um, rather than concentrating on the one thing, if you know what I mean. Because um, people are just mentally and physically multitasking, like at left, right, centre, everywhere you look. Yeah, and, and also just um, like the power of pausing as mm. well. Uh, within my, my company, and you know, I, I do it with, with meditation every day anyway, but within the company we had something called the sound of silence, where every single day we all sat together around a powerful question that one of the team came up with and then had a half an hour discussion with what came out of that one minute reflection. And I think that we've got like a love affair with productivity mm. uh, in this, in this society, but actually there's nothing more productive than pausing and resting and being silent. Yeah. And that when we pause and think of nothing and just open up that space for mystery and the wisdom of not knowing all kinds of stuff comes out of that so the jedi campaign idea came out of a minute of reflection of not you know of silent reflection and so sometimes to go a thousand miles an hour rather than a hundred miles an hour you just need to sit and cross your legs and meditate <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I suppose that's the thing in the uk like when you say talk about meditation from most people especially british they're just like what or not that and such. So yeah. Exactly. Watch your tenders instead. <laughs> cool. Um, where can guys find you if they want to reach out? Um, or if they, they, know, they want to look at any upcoming events they might want to come and see you speak at? Yeah, great. Well, um, the website is mrsimoncohen.com. Mm-hmm. And yeah, my social media handle is just Mr. Simon Cohen uh, across them. And so, yeah, I'd be really... Um, I really enjoyed the, the conversation with you, AJ, and I, I, I think it's the what happens next that really excites and interests me. And I'd love to, to hear from listeners of the podcast and engage with them as well. And I'm really grateful that you chose me because I, I, I saw some of the, the, the stories of guests that you, you've interviewed. And I, I appreciate that I'm a bit of a, a different kettle of fish, so to speak. But uh, yeah, I hope no. it's been useful. No, no, it's been fantastic, man. Um, like I said, I wanted you to get you on the show to uh, because your message, especially from a, a leadership point of view, is so important to so many people out there. Um, and just to explain the things that you've gone through and the things you've done, you know, what what makes somebody give away a million pound company, uh, all that kind of stuff. There's, there's all there's so many messages in there that the everyday person can totally uh, relate to, and that's that's one of the main reasons that I, I run the show the way I do is because everyone out there is going through some kind of similar 
pattern or you know mental blocks or um are struggling to get their thought to, to take a uh, adventure from a thought to actual tangible like business and stuff like that so yeah. it's really important that i find to get guests on either you know whether it's they come overcome adversity from an injury or they've you know come from rock bottom or they've done really well and then all of a sudden lost everything and then reclawed it back you know there's so many ups and downs in life that different people go through so getting people like yourself on the show is like vitally important to, to our audience so um yeah thank you so much for coming on it's been superb thanks for having me cheers aj guys and girls um there you have it simon's just explained in many different ways just how you literally can become the best version of yourself i really hope you guys took away a load of lessons from what simon had to say um this is well for me and from simon have a great day and go out there and be the best version of you thank you very much <laughs>